everyone, welcome all to the Snail Trail 4x4 Podcast. If you like going off-roading in Toyotas, wrenching on Toyotas, camping in Toyotas, and maybe even poking a little bit of fun at Toyotas, and of course, hearing about how great using your sliders to repair your tie rods is in Toyotas, then this is the podcast for you. That's right, ladies and germs, my name is Tyler, and joining me in the studio today is the one and only... Jimmy Jet himself in the flesh, in the person. How are you, man? I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. Yeah. yeah. I'm able to, I'm moving around more. I'm walk, yeah. walking around a lot more. My, uh, I haven't had a gout flare up in a, you know, since the last time we spoke. That's good. Yeah. Or I was going to make it. some uh, steak and uh, sugary whiskey for you for dinner. Tonight. Perfect. Sounds yeah. delicious. <laughs> I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. <laughs> I'm sure you've seen it by now, but did you see what our super producer made? Yes. <laughs> that crystal guy thing. Yeah. yeah. I think you even it? sent it to me. Oh yeah. That one's pretty good. <laughs> I laughed out loud at that one. Uh, uh, yeah, definitely. I even showed the assistant. She was laughing pretty good. So we, we he put that up on the, the Facebook page, like the right the the Snail Squad Facebook page, and uh you didn't say anything or uh, anything about it or like react to it at all. And he texted me later on. He goes, is Jimmy pissed about that? <laughs> I was like, no, no, <laughs> you can't make me mad, Brian. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah so, that was that was pretty funny yeah it's up over on the snail squad uh i rate uh private forum as well Is for it? everybody okay yep, cool put it over there good so um yeah uh if you guys have been traveling along with us here uh we'll keep the the beginning of this episode nice short and sweet but uh definitely make sure that you're heading over to irate4x4.com and signing up over there Uh, moving your patreon support over to irate4x4 Um, our plan is by the end of this month end of april we're going to shut down the 10 and 20 dollar tiers on patreon and only have the five dollar tier available Yes. So um, that's the the plan. Uh, we talked about it a couple Thursdays ago. <clears throat> so hopefully you guys uh, go back and listen to that episode if you have any questions on that process. Cool. Cool. All right. That's all we're going to put about that. This month's trail giveaway. Trail giveaway. Now <laughs> that works too. That does work. <laughs> this month's uh, giveaway for the Snail Squad is uh, none other than a bun trail welder uh which is a really cool uh kit 24 volt flux core spool gun welder that you hook up to a couple batteries um it comes with everything you need except the batteries and a hood and brushes and a chipping hammer anything like that and gloves and yeah all this stuff comes with the welder the jumpers the ground cable every blah blah blah. it even Um, comes with wire it even comes with a wire. Yep. Two pound of uh, flex core wire for you. Mm-hmm. So um, definitely go check them out. If you didn't listen to episode 286, go back and listen to it for welding month to kick off the, the month of April here, which is national welding month, also known as Tyler's month. Oh yeah. So you won't let me forget. I will never let you forget April. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I guess that's about it for now. Do we want to do anything else before we get into this uh, fun, longer interview with Ian? 
No, let's do it. I'm super. It was super fun to interview with Ian. He's always a crack up. He makes us <laughs> laugh all the freaking yes. time. Um, but he's we were so cavalier about everything. Yeah, he's just he really dry. <laughs> yeah, we were um, when we were planning this month out. We uh, reached out to him because of his wealth of trail repair knowledge that he has of trying to figure out how like shit I broke something. Uh How do I get myself home? Yeah, he I don't know if he would uh, classify it as knowledge. No, (laughs) I don't know if he would (laughs) more of a dumb lunk or something. Yeah, Yeah. he was able to to put shit together and get himself home. So Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, he's got some really fun stories about that. Some really neat ideas of uh, MacGyvering metal together out on the trail. So it was a really fun interview. We enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, and there's some really good tidbits in there. Some really good tips and tricks. Some really so, good ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess without further ado, let's keep this nice and short and head right on over to the campfire discussion with Ian. And uh, um, we were just a disclaimer. <laughs> Nothing that you hear on this show should be taken as truth. <laughs> and that goes for any snail trail show. No, I'm just kidding. You'll you'll get that at the end of the episode here. But uh, no disclaimer. Uh, we were trying out a new piece of software that we got um, and we can get thanks to all the support that everybody gives us. So um, we're trying out a new piece of software which allowed him to interview remotely and uh, hopefully get just as good of quality as if he was here in the studio with us. So um, he's the guinea pig and we'll try this out. So if you guys have any issues or if there are any audio issues, sorry, we're working them out still. <laughs> so I guess without further ado, let's head on over. Go ahead and grab your favorite drinks, your favorite candy from the candy dish. And we'll be right on back with Ian from wheel every weekend. back ladies and gentle ladies uh we are on remote literally here um we've got a, a veteran of podcasting as we were just talking about uh, off air here uh mr wheel every weekend himself welcome back to the podcast ian how are you doing today bud good man how are you guys we're doing pretty well yeah. uh we got uh, we're playing around with some new software that uh or the supporters um, have enabled us to get, um, and uh, we'll see how this goes. This recording, where we were already started on a little bit of shaky ground. <laughs> yeah, you're sort of our test dummy. Yeah, yeah, that works out though. I don't have a lot going on, so it's oh, perfect. perfect. Nice. nice. <clears throat> so, Jimmy, why do we have Ian here on the podcast yet again? Yeah, well, you know, for it being National Welding Month, we aka uh, Tyler's month, aka Tyler's just, month. Just make sure everyone knows. Yeah. Um, Ian Tyler's birthdays this month. If you couldn't catch <laughs> oh, on to okay. that, it's yeah. tomorrow, which is actually oh. uh, six days ago, five days ago. I can't do math real quick in my head like that. It, it depends no, on when this episode airs. Anyways, uh, National Welding Month. National Welding Month. And who better to have on the podcast than Ian, who has probably used every single welder out there? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Sometimes in one day. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So uh, we figured you break down enough. You have the experience of uh, 
learning how and figuring out difficult uh, situations and difficult scenarios of putting together drive shafts and or cross members or ways to get yourself off of the trail in very radiators. Yeah. Radiators or whatever it is. (laughs) Um, So we figured you might have a wealth of knowledge for our listeners out there of try to, you know, trail fix items with all the trail welders that we're talking about. Yeah, definitely. I know. And there's a bunch of cool ones on the market now. Like when I first mm-hmm. started wheeling, it was the ready welder or you would bring like some 6010 and two batteries, which for the record, I've cables. never been able to make work <laughs> ever. Uh, the 6010 and two batteries? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm an idiot or what, but I just couldn't make it happen. Uh, you're already doing better than me by actually like preparing and bringing that stuff with you. So <laughs> what I thought you, don't you have some like bolt on welder thing? I have the premiere in my rig, but that's uh that's um, more recent. That was more recent. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> my back in the day, my buddy used to claim that you could weld with a penny. If you had two batteries jumped to 24 volts and then use the penny as the rod, which I also tried, and uh, I would like to go on record as saying I also don't think that works. <laughs> I have never heard of that one This before. is why we have you on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Crushing everybody's dreams out there. I know. With all, one penny at a time. I mean, That's I don't know. Funny. Maybe I just can't do it, but I did try and could not make it happen. I've definitely heard the trick about uh, using pennies as washers because they're actually cheaper. Oh, I guess that makes sense. I don't really use washers that much. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It's like everything I build, the fitment on it is better than the fitment of a washer. And I'm like bolting stuff to three eighths plate. So I'm like, Mm. well, if it fits tighter than a washer does and it's already three eighths plate, then what, what advantage does the washer have for me? Well, that is your washer in that case, right? The three yeah. eighths plate. You just have a three eighths washer on there. <laughs> yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Part of the I feel like <laughs> washers are for holes you don't make the right size. That's a uh, something could definitely be said about that. Um, according, I to need you. to turn that into a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have a lot of good shirt ideas. <laughs> nice. nice. Just waiting. Well, you got the hookup on that. You yeah, have, maybe you got a good buddy that can design some really cool shirts. Yeah, he's been pretty busy lately, though. I've uh, got a couple new designs, but I hate to bother him. He's got yes. a lot going on. Um, mm. So <laughs> by the time that this is going to come out, the last person you'll have to talk to is the Premier Power Welder, mm-hmm. which yes. is actually the only one that I haven't used. Oh. Um, and I don't really know that much about, to be honest. My friend does have a, uh, a kind of like a Premier that he made himself, and it's just a second alternator. And then he wired it in with some like non avalanche style diodes to jump it up mm-hmm. um, on his LS motor in a Toyota pickup. And then he uses that to stick weld. Um, he's like a super smart guy, though. So I wouldn't be able to recreate that system, I'm sure. Well, I mean, that's essentially what the, the Premiere is, too. It just all runs on one alternator rather than a second kind of a, a back. Um, what am I thinking of? I have a way with words. Backup alternator. Backup alternator. Thank mm. you. <laughs> so that guy that that's the guy you went wheeling with in Moab. Yeah. Yeah. He had two alternators. Mm-hmm. Correct. And Interesting. But they, they both don't spin all the time, so right. they're the same distance mm. away from the dynamic tensioner. 
So mm-hmm. you just loosen the dynamic tensioner, slip the belt off, and then put the belt on the other alternator. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. That way there's no parasitic draw because you're only mm. using it, what, like 0.0001% of the time, hopefully. So yeah, that was his idea with it. A, a little bit a little bit higher if you're on the trail? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what my thing is, man. I, I just like, I finish build, building stuff at 3 a.m. I leave at 5 a.m. for a trip. And then by like 11 a.m., I'm still building it again, but also on the trip. <laughs> You know on, I mean? the, on, the, on the side of the trail or the we call those test runs yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm like on the side of the 15 welding my own alternator back together yeah i was gonna that say was most like, people like do test runs at you know local svras or off-road parks or something you do your test runs on thousand mile trips yeah tune up so, while you drive That's exactly what I call it. <laughs> awesome it's really yeah, a horrible the, way to go the uh, alternator thing i just saw a. Uh, uh vehicles a car audio vehicle um the other day on social media that had i want to say it was like 10 alternators Dang. and like the whole engine like the whole point of the engine was just there to run the alternators yeah it's just a generator <laughs> the car audio point. yeah so they could exactly. get the power to run the amps exactly wow. yeah <laughs> so i thought that was interesting i was like oh i guess that's true we can technically add more alternators to a vehicle if we want to run more power yeah, yeah, you can also get those juiced up ones. Like I think the yeah. GM one wire that I run in our truck is like 300 amps or something. Yeah, they get they get beefy. I haven't I don't think I've heard anything more than 300, maybe a 350. I know that my dad has one up there in his Tacoma, but um yeah, my uh, my Premier came with the 160 165 amp one. I think they also have an option for a 200 or 220 amp somewhere around there. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. But it's, it's, you know, it's slick. It's a nice little setup that is kind of all built in. And then you just uh, plug your wire, your leads in, and then you can run, you know, stick welding. So you've got a lot of different processes available for you. But the the one downside that I found, um, two downsides, A, that you have to be near whoever you want to weld or whatever yeah. you want to weld on. Um, and B, when you're running the welder, the vehicle is technically running off your batteries. It's not mm. using the alternator at all um, to stay running. So you got to keep that in mind as the, the vehicle is running at, you know, 2000, 2500 RPMs while you're welding that it's uh, just running off your batteries. So you got to so turn it off every once in a while and let the batteries charge you back up a little, but um, interesting. Yeah, um, but we are, you know, up until this point of talking to you, uh, we've done the Bun Trail Welder, talked to them. Uh, we've talked to Joe over at Carnage Welder, um, who has the kind of like the battery packs, uh, two motorcycle batteries in a Pelican case with a wire feed um, spool in the Pelican mm-hmm. case rather than on a gun like a spool gun. Yeah. Um, so just kind of, and then, you know, we're going to be talking with Premier as well. Um, then there's, you know, you could take uh, some stick rods and a couple batteries and jumper cables out with you um, to for welding as well. There's ready welders. There's all sorts of different stuff. What, in your opinion, in your experience, your all your years of anecdotal evidence here um, is kind of like the best thing on the trail. What do you prefer when you go out there? Uh, I don't know. I think it kind of depends on exactly what breaks, but I anecdotally, I just have a ready welder. So I'll jump it to 24 volts and use that with mm-hmm. some like uh 035 flux core in it. And that tends okay. to work great. You do still have that limitation where you have to be 
within whatever 10 or 15 feet of the batteries, which is Mm -hmm. kind of annoying. So like that's, I've been eyeing the carnage welder actually, because it's a little lithium ion pack. Mm -hmm. The nice thing about the ready welder though, is that it is portable. So if I want to bring it in another truck, I just throw it in the back. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's nice. Like I brought it in our Tundra when we did our big like cross country trip in it. Oh yeah. And I dual batteries in that too. So with 24 volts, you can, you can weld through frame and stuff pretty easy. And, uh, if you preheat the metal too, you can get pretty decent penetration out of it. Uh, for like welding, like aluminum though, I haven't Mm -hmm. had any luck with any kind of mobile welder type thing. And honestly, Mm -hmm. I I carry uh, JB weld the like aluminum (laughs) specific stuff. Yeah, it works okay. good. That's what's it's been uh holding my transfer case together for four years now. <laughs> so <laughs> on which rig? On the Tacoma? Uh yeah, on my one that's a lawn ornament right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually I'm about to I think tomorrow rip the rest of the rear suspension off and then it's officially dead. And you're not gonna be resur- resurrecting it, you're just gonna pass well, on to something else or what? Well, it's uh, I'm going to do a suspension video on it. Gotcha. Um, and besides that, yeah, it's just going in the dumpster. <laughs> nice. Get the video done then throw it away. Yeah, essentially. And then I'll take the parts off and build a buggy out of it or something. But yeah, I fixed a bunch of stuff on that. There's also like, there's just some bad stuff on it. Like there's one part on the frame that I've rewelded like six times. And like, obviously I've been welding for over a decade now, I know that if you just weld the same spot six times, that means that you haven't repaired it correctly, but <laughs> uh-huh. will I repair it correctly? Probably not. I'll probably weld it seven times. <laughs> there you go. So, but that brings the question up. So if you are in a situation of when there's a weld already pre-welded spot, how should you mm-hmm. approach that appropriately? Well, you really have to, if you have like a crack, so welds themselves very rarely fail unless you're talking about like uh welding tig welding aluminum you can have cracks that go through like the center of the weld typically you're gonna have a failure next to the weld which then like that's i don't tell everyone to go to welding school um i did and while i've been telling people i dropped out but then it turns out my old teacher follows me (laughs) and he had to explain to me that i did not drop out i got called to a fire for the fire department came back and i didn't want to do the makeup work i just wanted to do the test and i was like well this is bullshit and left so I would like to go on record and say, <laughs> I did not drop out. I quit. <laughs> um, so there you go. I hope he's happy. Um, but the nice thing about welding school is that like, you learn that a failure next to the weld is 99% of the time like the weld failure, too. Um, oh, so some, why, why does that happen? Is it just because the, the metal gets overheated and brittle right there? Why, yeah, why does that cause pretty much exactly that it's like the heating and cooling of the metal. And it's most common when you're welding like dissimilar metals or mm-hmm. metals that have weird carbon content, or I'm sure you've heard a bunch of stuff about like welding to cast and how you have to preheat mm-hmm. it, post heat it, peen it. You can use like nickel wire and a bunch of other stuff. So you're not going to have the actual weld itself fail. You're going to have something fail right next to the weld or like edge cracking on the weld, or if you don't go through your like heating and cooling stuff, which all this stuff is like, you can just open the textbook, go to the section on like welding dissimilar metals and just do what it says and you'll be Mm -hmm. good. 
Like okay. that's, that's my secret to life is like, I don't have any of this stuff memorized. I just look it up in the textbook and then do what the textbook says. Well, isn't that what Google's for nowadays? It's true. Yeah. Like yeah. there's no point knowing this stuff. You just <laughs> Google it real quick. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask if you carry the textbook with you out on the trail. No, but, uh, I mean, I guess I could Google it out there. Yeah, but, definitely. Yeah. I do bring a torch too. I bring a little map torch. And uh, yeah. that is also great for welding stuff because you can heat what you're welding first. So like, say you shear something on an axle, mm-hmm. all that metal inside there, if it's porous, it's going to be full of like little bits of gear oil, which is like not only gross, uh-huh. but also impossible to weld. Yeah. Um, so if you just like heat that with a torch for a bit until it doesn't smoke. Um, that burns off all the gear oil and then you can weld to pretty much clean metal. And there are some like paint products that say they're weldable, but I don't really think that weldable paint is a real thing. And also it's weird cause I feel like they've created a problem to solve cause they're like, what if you have a thousand dollar welder, but not a $3 brush? Yeah. Well, <laughs> buy this $40 paint and then it'll fix that. It's like, this. it's never happened to me. Not mm-hmm. once. That's funny. <laughs> I've always wondered about that stuff. No, it's not real. It's like you get porosity and you just, you can't weld over paint. That you was kind of my, my thought too. I'm like, I get it. Like if you put metal dust into paint, it'll help being able to weld through the paint, but you still have whatever the base of the paint is that you have to weld through as well and burn off in order to get a clean penetration and no porosity, like you're saying. Um, so I've always questioned those as well and i've i've never actually like sat down and talked to somebody who actually knows metallurgy about whether or not those are possible or good things or not (laughs) yeah well i mean like if you're doing a welding test and you showed up and the metal is like absolutely clean free of oil there's no mill scale on it you'd be like okay but if you showed up and it was that and someone just painted it real quick with like a quote-unquote weldable paint you'd be Mm -hmm. like uh what the hell are you trying to make me fail (laughs) <laughs> gotcha yeah oh so, i mean i don't know i haven't had any luck one of the things i have used it for though is like if you're stitching together sheet metal panels which is like a non-critical point like i mean yeah oems glue them so it's not like you really need a ton of like weld on them um i will sometimes use like a weld through prep paint in between and that's just so they don't rust in the negative cavities mm. but it's not like a structural thing Got it. Yeah. So what do you do out on the trail to prep for a repair? I, I don't suggest other people do this, but I bring <laughs> a drill, a sawzall, a grinder, um, a couple tower lights, like for the construction site. What else? A die grinder. I bring a bunch of wire wheels, flap wheels, cutoff wheels, stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I pretty much like I have a mini shop out there. Do you, are you running all that stuff on air battery, um, battery. off your, your welding batteries? I run it all. At, I have all the Milwaukee junk, so it's all an M18 system. And then I gotcha. have a, um, a battery charger that runs off 12 volts too. So I can recharge them. Although with the giant batteries, like if you have an eight or nine amp hour battery, like, and you're going wheeling for three days. I mean, I've broken a lot of stuff and use like the drill a bunch and I still haven't <laughs> ran down the batteries. It's really just like the lights and junk that run them down. Mm. Do, you, do you use the lights because you're breaking down at night or are you using yeah. the lights because you're working underneath the rig? 
Uh, no, usually because I'm breaking down at night. Yeah, I like there's a sweet local rock crawling area and someone else broke down at night and I just like set up all my tower lights and I was like, whoa, I don't have to do anything now. And I was like making sandwiches and having a good time. It was really <laughs> weird to see the other side of it for once. <laughs> like, you're you're playing host for the party. Yeah, <laughs> but I was like. Yeah, and I was like yeah. heckling. I was like, this is great. I see why people do this. <laughs> yeah. Who needs a beer? <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah, it sounds like uh, some guys in my off-roading club, they love whenever somebody breaks, they pull out the, the camping chairs and set up a little circle around the break and just sit there and heckle whoever's working on the break. <clears throat> yeah, it's some of my breakdowns are bad. Like my first time on the Rubicon in like 2008, it got so bad that there's a photo of my friends playing chess in front of me trying to tune my carburetor <laughs> because they were like so over me at that point in the trip because it wouldn't run below 2000 RPMs. So, wow. which is not great for the Rubicon. No, <laughs> no it's not. It's like super not ideal. <laughs> so I just had to floor it everywhere. I don't know how I didn't break anything else. Launch yourself up whale bones. Dude, yeah. it was not good. At least well, I had dual cases. So, 4,000 RPMs is still like a 10th of a mile an hour, but yeah, it's still obnoxious. So you bring all these tools with you. Um, so can you walk us through sort of like, I don't know, let's talk about, um, sharing, uh, a cross member on a vehicle. What, what are some of the steps that you would go through to, uh, prep that, to be able to, um, put that back together? Well, the first thing I would do is limp it off the trail. So you're not in everyone else's way. Like one of the things I hate is like people just stop in the middle of the trail, especially the Rubicon. Mm -hmm. And then you're like half a mile back and you're like, what's happening? And there's just <laughs> some dude in the middle who could like totally pull off to the side. Mm -hmm. So I'll pull off to the side and then look at it and try and figure out why it broke. And if it did break at like the edge of a weld or something, you really have to grind out the entire crack to reweld it. Otherwise that crack is going to propagate again. Um, so then I'll decide like what tools I need and I'll probably like make lunch real quick and get some water and then do it. Cause it always ends up taking me forever and it's like way more involved, but also I'll bring, sometimes I bring like a little bit of metal scrap or before I've like cut off parts of my truck and welded it onto other parts. Like <laughs> that's a good idea. Yeah. I've like cut my slider tubes off and used it to sleeve a tie rod or I cut off, like I had an eighth inch steel fenders and I cut those off so that I could weld them onto my drive shaft once. Um, <laughs> so like having just little scraps of metal can help if you have just like a couple little clean scraps of like quarter inch strap that you can weld the stuff because like, yeah, you want to weld over the, crack let's say after you've ground it out but then because you're welding in like a kind of dirty environment and you don't have the best equipment chances are it's probably going to break again so you also want to like bridge that completely with something so that if it does start to crack again it has a point at which it'll kind of stop at so like in some structural welding codes you won't even connect the two points of the weld you'll continue off like sideways for an inch and then stop and leave like a little gap in between where the welds don't meet and that's so that cracks stop right there. Oh, interesting. I didn't think about that. I knew that that's a, a really big point to why you always go beyond your, your welding area. You continue yeah. it on and then you make a, a kind of a bigger puddle at the very end of it so that it doesn't start splitting under stress mm, kind later of. on. But I didn't realize that that's a, you can also do that to add an intentional stress release point in the middle yeah. of the weld too. So 
That's probably not even worth mentioning because it's like one <laughs> arbitrary code for like uh, like a bulldozer repair thing I did two years ago. Gotcha. But yeah, I had to make fill plates and then I had to like offset it and leave like a it was like a half inch gap in between the two points of the weld. Um, gotcha. Which is different kind of like stress factors on those. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You can also get a lot done with ratchet straps too, though. Like if you break your cross member in half, you probably just ratchet strap that bad boy back together and just keep going. We actually so down at KOH this year, uh, somebody did exactly that. They uh, broke their uh, cross member apart, and we stopped real quick to see what was going on. And his transfer case was like sitting on the ground pretty much, and he just. Nice put it back up and ratchet strapped it in place and went back to camp. Yeah. <laughs> so we only stopped for like five minutes. <laughs> was it a Toyota? Yep. Yeah. I've broken that horrible, the like stock transfer case mount. If you have a single case, mm-hmm. it just rips that thing in half. As soon as you're in like, if you have 4.7 to one gears and then I've just ratchet strapped my whole transmission to the cross member. And like, it's honestly not bad. <laughs> those uh at it's home functional depot, yeah, yeah dude it's pretty good at home depot they have these like husky yellow ratchet straps that are rated for three thousand pounds yeah. and dude you can use those for a bunch i've like used them as winches if i had to <laughs> you I, like i've used them as like every mount on a vehicle pretty much at some point dude, they're mint are those the ones that like are two two inches webbing yeah yeah cool yeah they were great, dude. So when it comes to welding stuff, and you were talking about bringing kind of pieces of scrap metal, um, mm-hmm. I know how, how many times have you sacrificed uh, tools like wrenches or screwdrivers or something to weld to something as a, a brace or a gusset or something to bring it back together? I haven't had to use tools. I have, like, I've cut my sliders off before and used those. And then... Um, so you would you would rather cut your sliders up than use uh, a couple two or three wrenches? Yeah, wrenches are typically the metal they're made out of was weird, mm-hmm. and they have a weird coating on them too. Mm-hmm. So you got to like grind that all down and take it off. And I'd rather just weld mild steel to mild steel because gotcha. you never know what it is. They say like chrome vanadium, but then all my tools are cheap, so they're probably just like normal steel but plated with something. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows what they're actually made out of? And uh, who knows if welding it may release some poisonous gas, which might happen. Actually, mm. last week I was welding a bunch of galvanized, which was horrible. Uh, <laughs> with a full respirator, though. I don't mess around okay, with that that's stuff. Good. That's yeah. another thing. Um, for welding hoods, there's this sweet like leather Jason mask looking thing on eBay that just has a little like welding lens insert, which I think is the best. Because I've brought full hoods on the trail, which is kind of ridiculous. It's like this massively overkill. And then I've also brought just like the goggles from Harbor Freight. And mm-hmm. those you might as well just not see. Like you yeah. cannot see out of them. It's impossible. It doesn't yeah. work. And then also you end up looking like a raccoon because you get like the worst sunburn of your life all around your face, except for your, your little eye pockets. Yeah. And I got it so bad one year that my face was like puffy afterwards. It was horrible. So I think the leather face mask is legit. It packs up super small and it protects all your face from the UV rays. That's and you can bad. change the lenses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can swap them out to whatever shade you use. So I think like they come with an 11, but I put a nine in them. Mm. Gotcha. Do those also cover like the back of your head? Because I know that when I'm trail welding, the biggest issue for me is the sun glare coming in the back of the hood and, you know, glaring on the, the inside of your lens. 
does that leather one have like a, a full on head mask that covers your whole head? It's just like a little flappy thing on the face. So it's like kind of close enough that that won't really be an issue, but I would wear like a hat or something with it too. Cause also like if you get slag in your mm-hmm. hair, that's the worst. I have like a bunch of parts on my head that won't grow hair anymore. I have like little <laughs> pockets because I've like essentially like welded the follicle shut or something, which is horrible. So now I'm like kind of anal about all that stuff. Now I like have to have my cap and I wear a half mask. If I'm welding a like structural MIG all day, I'll wear a half mask like all day. So I'm not breathing all that junk in. Have you gotten slag down in your ear canal? Yeah, I burned a this hole is- <laughs> in my nipple once. I had to like oh, hold the, like, the slag, it solidified, and I had to go in with tweezers and pull it out of my nipple. Oh, my God. It was horrible. It's, wow. a, stupid, it's a stupid career. <laughs> you don't have like a, a leather jacket or something that you wear? Yeah, it went under it. Wow. <laughs> it went through like between the collar and yeah. your body and slagged all the way down to your nipple. Yeah. Yep. Dang. It's rough. You know how many people we just made think about your nipple? I hope a lot. You're welcome, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right. So getting, um, breaking on the trail, you're cleaning stuff out. You're using, um, ideally, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I need to bridge this gap in, you know, if you shear and mangle a bracket or something, um, what are some ways to bridge that gap? Just uh, chunks of metal, whatever you can cut off your vehicle, or are there some other things that are better to carry on the trail that you can use for that? Pretty much. Or you can stack a couple like tacks to create enough material to bridge it and then weld over that, which isn't really the right way to do it. But like, um, I think one of my welding instructors or maybe a guy who used to work for me used to say, you either get good at cutting or good at gap welding. And I'm good at gap welding. So, yeah, you can just, if you lower down the voltage and you can usually like whip it back and forth enough that you can build up enough material, but then it's usually not a great joint. Um, So I would back it with something like another little piece of steel, or you can use one of those little scraps and bridge it over that gap, which tends to work pretty good. I know a lot of people that'll carry uh, bolts. Mm-hmm. bolts and nuts um specifically just to to help bridge gaps for trail repairs hmm i don't know i think i'd rather build bring just like random bits of plate oh, okay. personally because bolts and nuts like well that's because you want to use them further down the road you might need your bolts and nuts that's true too <laughs> wouldn't that be horrible if you only had like one 10 by 1.0 bolt and you welded it to your frame like an hour ago um Time to cut know. it out. Yeah. That'd be <laughs> such a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I feel like some flat plate would be a lot better because you don't know what material the bolts and nuts are made out of. And assuming it's something that's like broken in half, that's like maybe an, an inch or two long, if you're only going to bridge it with, say, like a 10, 12 millimeter bolt, it's not a ton of material on it. So it mm-hmm. could just another crack could happen in that same exact spot. Gotcha. So you would rather uh, bridge a gap and uh, with the weld rather than necessarily use a bolt or anything? Or you just you're saying to you carry some extra plate um, with you for those purposes? Yeah, I carry some extra plate or a mm-hmm. little Milwaukee grinder and just cut off bits of your truck and put it on it. Nice. So do you typically do you carry extra plate or you're more the cutter? Um, I usually bring like 
one or two little triangles from IMS, like four by four triangles. And I'll use that for like bracing or whatever. And then, uh, but yeah, I'll just cut stuff off my truck, but I think I am a special use case. So I don't always suggest people do what I do. (laughs) Right. Do it. Do as you say, not as you do. Yeah. It's like with first aid kits, people ask me about those a lot. And I'm like, you should not bring in a first aid kit. What I bring because I'm preparing for something different than you are. Yeah. Well, you're a trained medic. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. Do you carry the whole, I mean, this is way off topic, but do you carry that like the whole medic bag? Yeah, I do. With you? Yeah. I don't admit it. If we're on the trail together, I will never admit it, but I do. Yeah. I have a bunch of stuff. I have like IV drugs, IV bags, sutures, right? junk, bunch of drugs in it. So not only are you resourceful and can hobble a truck back together, but you might be able to save somebody's life. Oh, you guys just completely cut out. Oh, you're back. Mm. So not, not only are you resourceful and can hobble a, a truck back together by cutting it apart and rewelding it, um, but you can also maybe save somebody's life and hobble a body back together? Maybe, although I'm worried about getting sued, so I probably <laughs> wouldn't do it. I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, obviously I would, but it's like mm-hmm. the, uh, yeah, your chances of getting sued nowadays for trying to help someone out <laughs> if anything goes wrong in a medical emergency are so high. It's kind yeah. of best to just stand back and just make sure everything's okay and get them yeah. to someone who's uh, licensed at a higher level of care than you. Yeah. You carry, uh, you're gonna have to add some release of liability forms into your first aid kit. Yeah. That would honestly be a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to start adding a release of liability forms to my welder kit on the trail. (laughs) You should sign this first. (laughs) All right. So people should start carrying scrap metal with them, probably in their welding kits that they, they bring along, you know, along with the gloves and, uh, you know, the, or helmet and Jason mask. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jason mask mm-hmm. and that thing works great. That's awesome. You don't want to get the raccoon eyes like I got. It's so <laughs> miserable. And it ruins like the whole rest of the trail. You just yeah. feel like crap the whole time. Feel like um, your face is all bloated and on fire the rest of the trip. Yeah, and you get like sun sickness almost where you're like super mm-hmm. dehydrated too. Mm-hmm. And you just feel miserable. And then you like can't be out in the sun too. So you're trying to stop at like Buck Island and hang out, but you just like sit under a tree. <laughs> yeah. Just or just stick trip. your face in the water. Yeah. Yeah, dude, it sucks. <laughs> I like highly suggest trying not to get that. Um, and you want some thick gloves too. Like when I'm welding, I actually usually use um, gloves designed for stick welding on my left because uh, I'm right handed. And then I also have like a metal reflective heat pad that I use on my left too. And I started doing that because I was blown through gloves like once or twice a week and it got really wow. expensive. And then also as it gets hot, like the more comfortable you are, the better at welding you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there are a bunch of dudes who just like weld up an exhaust every once in a while or something. And you see them and they have like no gloves while they're welding. I'm like, dude, <laughs> you would not be able to do that. <laughs> doing like eight <laughs> hours of structural steel, you would literally melt your hand off. Mm-hmm. Like you would, yeah, you wouldn't be able to use so, your hands. So what is the reflective thing? How does that work? It's just like a little reflective pad. I think it's like a fiberglass insert. And then it has, it look, kind of like looks like aluminum foil to knock back some of that radiated heat. And it steps off a little bit and it makes your glove last probably 10 times longer. Is it like something you put over the top of mm-hmm. your glove? Yeah. Oh. 
Yeah, and it just goes like below your thumb and above your thumb. It has like stretchy straps. They sell them at a lot of welding stores or uh, Hmm. I know like Weldmonger has a set that are pretty good that I use. Hmm. And so I'll use those and then I replace those like every six months instead of replacing my gloves like every couple weeks. Um, But then on my right hand, I use like a normal MIG glove. and my left hand, I use a stick glove. So you're saying it's not the best idea to use an oven mitt for that? No, I wouldn't. No, definitely not. Darn, um, I need to replace that then. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I need to find someone who's a left-handed welder so we can trade gloves because I always ruin the other ones, but <laughs> I think they're in high demand. You have a ton of right-handed gloves sitting around? Yeah. No, I, just, I have a, like a giant cardboard box full of them. I probably have like 30 <laughs> or 40 sets of right-handed gloves. Nice. Okay. Um, all right. So let's go to a welding kind of like on different parts of a vehicle, like if a different part breaks. So like say you crack a frame, what was going to be the best process, best, uh, uh, I don't want to say protocol, but best a uh, way to start approaching, you know, repairing a frame. Uh, I would just use flux core MIG, but I guess I'm also biased because that's what I carry in the ready welder. I have like mm-hmm. a 10 year old ready welder I got on eBay for 300 bucks. Mm-hmm. And, um, I used to think they were horrible, but it turns out just my drive wheel was messed up, which is super common with them. <laughs> so they have an upgrade kit that has like a metal, like little nub instead of a plastic nub for the drive wheel. Cause that's what actually tensions the wire and allows it to like shoot out. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And I honestly, I'm a horrible stick welder. I've tried a bunch of times. I'm sure I could do it, but it's just like everywhere I go, I'm MIG welding or even like mm. structural stuff. I'm doing like uh, spray arc for a bunch of hours a day or something like that. I pretty much never have to stick weld, so I haven't gotten good at it. Um, I just feel like MIG gives you a little more control too. And then flux is great because you're not going to bring like shielding gas on the trail. Although if you have a CO2 tank, you can use that as shielding gas and you can bring some like dual shield wire, which is essentially like flux core that also uses shielding gas. And mm-hmm. that stuff welds really good and has like really great penetration and some other properties that are great. And you already have the CO2 if you're using it to fill your tires. So that can be good. That's true. Um, I didn't think about that. <clears throat> yeah. And you can use CO2 for different um, types of transfer. But I think flux core definitely wins out in that because flux core essentially has the shielding gas inside of it. Mm-hmm. Although you have to weld it slightly different than you would with solid core wire. Like you're switching the polarity. Mm-hmm. And also um, your like stick out is a lot more important because you're actually heating the wire to let the flux come out. So you actually want slightly more stick out with flux core mm-hmm. um, in order to get the shielding properties to go mm-hmm. on correctly. But then you also, I mean, you can't have too much stick out because then you're just not welding. <laughs> you're in some <laughs> it like just a- pops and splatters <laughs> yeah. everywhere. Yeah, you're in some like weird short circuit kind of transfer method that doesn't really work but yeah i would just flux core is great too because like you can weld over rust and mill scale like that if you're welding hot enough and normally i would tell people to like never do that but if you're on the trail um i mean it can work totally fine and you're not looking for perfect you know you're just looking to get you off the trail yeah you're not trying to get some Mm. like sweet stack of dimes that you take a photo of and show on instagram you're just trying (laughs) to get home it's really difficult with flux to get that stack of dimes too, because that flux covers almost everything you see, you know? So 
yeah my experience is i just weld gummy worms yeah and the amount of spatter is pretty horrendous too Mm -hmm. so like i also like in the shop i have an anti-spatter spray and i spray that on every single thing right before i weld it and that way all those little like weird little drop droplets and slag and stuff it doesn't stick to the metal and give you all those weird little dots it only sticks to nipples yes gotcha well yeah that it didn't really (laughs) stick but it did burn in that was bad dude so uh, does that that stuff works pretty good yeah it works great Mm-hmm. totally i tried to do some. that once with wd-40 it didn't no don't so do that well. wd-40 is flammable too yeah. right yep <laughs> <laughs> it didn't catch fire but it also didn't prevent things from uh sticking yeah i know i think wd-40 is mainly isn't it it's mainly a water displacement so yeah i don't think mm-hmm. it would work that great for that yeah there's a bunch of anti-spatters that are pretty cheap and if you're welding with flux core dude you should definitely get some it's going to save you hours and clean up yeah what about uh, welding after brake cleaning something? Uh, in California, that's totally fine. Because okay. California hasn't allowed chlorinated brake cleaner to be sold since mm-hmm. before I was born, I think. So mm-hmm. in other states, you can get good brake cleaner. Um, and you can't, supposedly you can't weld after that because it makes chlorine gas and kills you. But mm-hmm. um, so I guess think about that. But like I said, if you're in <laughs> California, it's whatever, like, a ton of shops around here use brake clean as standard. I use um, acetone that I pour into like a metal jug that then I pressurize and spray oh, okay. out mainly mm-hmm. because it's like 10 times cheaper than brake cleaner. I also use it as brake cleaner. Yeah. Okay. So it works awesome. You get like a five gallon jug of acetone for like 40 or 50 bucks, I think. And then you just pour it in and pressurize it off your shop air and use that. But on the trail, I'll bring brake clean just as long as it's non-chlorinated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause that's what I wanted to hit on. Not to, not to use chlorinated brake clean Yeah, uh, because of the, the whole chlorine gas issue. So yeah, <laughs> a bunch of things that can kill you with welding. Like you don't want to weld galvanized or there's a couple other things that, pretty bad to inhale like generally if i'm if you're welding a lot you should get a little half mask that you can wear under it or some jobs even require like a full-on respirator thing mm-hmm. uh, but if you're just welding quick on the trail like i would say whatever okay just what about like um if people break a, a knuckle or something on their axle something cast what is the 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 correct i don't want to say correct but what's a trail process they can use for um, rewelding that back up and, and going and getting off the trail. You broke up a little bit, but I think, mm-hmm. uh, so if we're talking about welding cast, there's a mm-hmm. ton of different types of cast. Mm-hmm. Um, people kind of use that just as like a broader category to mean everything, but mm-hmm. the like actual content of the metal can be totally different and the forming process can be different, which kind of changes how you weld it. But essentially you're going to have like limited tools on the trail. So that's why I bring that propane torch because then you can like actually kind of preheat the metal. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will say that preheating it and postheating it is the most important because you don't want it to cool way faster than the weld itself, which will shrink in and then propagate cracks. Gotcha. Um, usually along the edge or kind of like next to the weld. Um, yeah. So that torch is key. And then of course there's no way for you to be able to tell how hot you're heating it. So you're kind of guessing, but you don't want to heat it like red hot. Like you're forging mm. something. Mm-hmm. Um, so as, if you can just heat it a little bit 
weld it and then kind of keep that heat on it for a while. I would say it's probably best to do that maybe overnight and then wrap it in something. Like if you get a bunch of like a blanket or t-shirt or something, you can wrap it around it and then you're going to have a way greater chance of success. And also like if you can't weld good, you should weld a lot. So if you can weld like a bunch of plates to it or something, um, that's just going to increase your chance of success quite a bit too. Gotcha. So there's a lot of, I think, myths and bad info out there about uh, cast on axles in terms yeah. of, you know, knuckles and center sections um, and whether or not you can weld to them with different, you know, types of welders, whether it be flux wire fed or stick or whatever else. Um, so like what is what would be the, the best option to do that? Is there a better option than anything else or is it really just a matter of preheating? Not on the trail, because I don't think you're going to bring nickel wire and shielding gas on the trail. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably not. Because, I mean, if it's like windy at all, you're going to hate your life. So I think mm-hmm. like on the trail, you're pretty much stuck with, um, I'm sure there's some stick rod that's better at cast that I should know. But again, I just don't know much about stick welding because um, gotcha. it's something I've never been good at. Uh, but for MIG, you can definitely weld it with flux core. It's not great, but people have been doing it forever. Yeah, it'll get you off the trail. Yeah, and you can peen the weld, too, to relieve some of the stress. If you, like, smack the weld itself a couple times with the back end Mm -hmm. of a ball-peen hammer, that'll kind of get rid of a bunch of the stress in it. So, like, between preheating it, post-heating it, peening it, that's pretty much as much as you can do if you're out in the middle of nowhere and just making sure Mm -hmm. it's super clean. And because cast can be porous, too, Mm preheating it will also get rid of some of the, like, impurities that it's soaked up over time or, like, yeah, axle housings are the worst, man, because they're just sitting there getting hot in gear oil the whole time. So they're just like absorbing yeah. gear oil. I think that's why people struggle with doing like shave kits. Some people, oh, yeah. claim, they're like, this shave kit sucks. It leaks right where I welded it. I'm like, oh, <laughs> sounds like that might not be the shave kit. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, bud. <laughs> um, but yeah, pretty much just like cleanliness is your friend and getting rid of that top layer of like mm-hmm. schmutz that's on everything or the mill scale or whatever's been on there for years. Uh, mm-hmm. just help you out, pays dividends down the road. Cool. I like it, man. Um, so let's see, is there anything else? Like what are some, uh, some of the more fun tricks that you've done in the past other than, you know, cutting up your rock sliders to sleeve a tie rod, um, for trail repairs, something, uh, some tricky things that something came up and you're like, okay, how the hell are we going to MacGyver this? Hmm. And you end up working on it and getting it done. I don't know. I welded a transmission uh, shaft back together once um, right by Arnold's rock on the Rubicon. Uh-huh. There's a Jeep with an AX five, which I think is an ACE trans. Cause it looks just like an R one fifty inside, but yeah, he was okay. stuck. Um, uh, one of the shafts in the middle broke and he was stuck in fifth gear, <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, which is like, it's a bummer, you know, yeah. that's like <laughs> so, being in 2000 RPMs the whole wow. time for the, yeah, it's a little worse too. Cause I don't think he had a doubler or anything. So I think he was like oh, two man. or three to one and stuck in fifth gear. So Ouch. like, dude, what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> so yeah, they were able to pull it apart. And then I, um, welded the shaft back together, just the flux core welder and a little bit of preheat. And I was able to get it. So they were stuck in first gear instead which I think is like way preferable. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not ideal, but preferable. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, a drive shaft back together, which is like a bunch of parts cut off my truck or I've welded like a bunch of cross members, tie rods, U joints. I had one dude snap Mm -hmm. his U joint cap in half 
and oh. it kind of like exploded and shot out and I was able to like hammer it back in and just kind of do like a couple tacks across the top of the U-joint cap uh-huh. and it lasted the rest of the trip. So you're not really expecting wow. to have anything work like awesome if you're trail welding it. You got to manage your expectations, but you can kind of like limp it back for sure. Um, I've also, I ripped an anti-wrap off my axle, but I ended up just jab welding the axle shut. I'll say for like aluminum or for like low pressure things, JB weld mm-hmm. works mint. Like for a transfer case, if you just like crack the casing on a transfer case, which can happen on uh, a lot of the Toyota ones, mm-hmm. you can just JB weld that bad boy and it works awesome. And there's no need to even bust out the welder. Or I bring, um, I also bring like radiator hose repair tape. It's like this special oh. kind of tape that you wrap around a cut in a radiator hose and it adheres to mm-hmm. itself and it works pretty good, dude. It's like to the point where it pretty much doesn't leak. Nice. Um, yeah. That radiator sealant stuff that does not work at all. <laughs> I tried to use that once. I, I poured like six cans of it in and all I did is plug up my heater course. I didn't have a heater anymore. And then my radiator is still leaking. Uh, just cold. Uh, you're cold with a leaky radiator yeah dude it's like the worst of all situations but then i ended up um finding the crack and i put that jb weld aluminum stuff on which it seems like it heat cycles okay because mm-hmm. like that's one of my concerns with the radiator is that as it heats and cools if like a like the cold bond whatever jb weld is it's like some kind of glue stuff um mm-hmm. if it won't like heat and cool at the same rate it probably won't adhere that good but if you uh, scuff it true. up good enough i think it's all right because i use like a bunch of 60 grit and scuffed it so the jb weld can go into the kind of like ridges left by the 60 grit and Uh, hold on okay you're just you're essentially creating a little bit more of a porous material for the jb weld to hold on to yeah yeah and also like aluminum as it sits out it oxidizes and there's an oxide layer over the top so i also use the Mm. sandpaper to cut down on that oxide layer and then use the jb weld on the aluminum that's underneath it so yeah, gotcha. I feel like I've talked more about JB Weld than anything, but JB Weld is great. <laughs> or steel I feel stick. Like, yeah, I've heard of steel sticks too. Um, I feel like I need to take more of a, a JB Weld class. Yeah, of like different ways to use JB Weld effectively because I know that it's a, an awesome material and I've I've seen it used with great effect. But it seems like whenever I try and use it, it never doesn't really work out the best. <laughs> oh man, my buddy JB welded the block of his twenty two R, and it was good for like a year. Wow. So, See, maybe that's what Kevin Jones needed on his 7.3. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have, I have a buddy that was romping around in Ocotillo Wells and drove into some bush and punctured a hole in his radiator. Hmm. And he folded over the fins on the radiator and JB welded them all shut and then filled it up with water and drove home. Nice. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Sometimes mm-hmm. when you're out there, there's also like a fuel tank repair kit that like if you look up JB Weld, it's one of the, the suggested things. And I think it's like a fiberglass mat with some glue. And that stuff works mm-hmm. great, too, because if you just get a little rock, like all the new fuel tanks are plastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the Tundra, it's like kind <laughs> of a joke. The second gen Tundra, this. Yeah. The skid plate is plastic, too. So they have like a plastic skid plate for the mm-hmm. plastic gas tank. I'm like I, excellent guys <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is good stuff um so yeah. you can just smash straight through that but then if you have that you can at least like fix that shut because on like newer efi trucks you need that fuel tank because it's got mm-hmm. like other junk going on it's not like if you're 22r if you break the fuel tank you just shove the intake hose into a gas can and keep driving it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah right. but yeah so more computers more problems but also less problems sometimes 
Yeah, it uh, makes the the repairs and getting off the trail a little bit more interesting, but hopefully, in theory, keeps you from getting to that point in the first place. <laughs> yeah, that's it is nice. Like, I have a pretty advanced OBD2 scanner that I bring, and mm-hmm. it is nice to be able to like absolutely pinpoint the issue. Uh, yeah, and like the truck just tells you what's wrong with it instead of being like, I don't know, it sounds funny, right? And then never being able to figure it out. Yeah. So, that's it's the difference key. between a a doctor and a veterinarian <laughs> where like a veterinarian, you know, deals with an animal. They can't communicate what the oh, hell's yeah. going on. And a That's doctor, true. you know, is talking to a human. They're like, yeah, I've got a pain in my side and it's doing whatever. Yeah. That's interesting. True. Um, so if people wanted to learn more about welding or uh, how to weld or tips and tricks of welding, do you have any suggestions for people to go and um, learn about it? Yeah. I think taking your course at like, uh, community college. Like I was able to, I did like a little guest lesson at a local community college. That was super cool. Um, there's like a lot of great resources out there too now on YouTube, but I would stay away from like the, the, uh, like influencers who are like, I just learned how to weld on YouTube myself last week. And now I'm going to show you what I learned, Yeah, but pretend I've always known it. Um, Mm -hmm but there's like welding tips and tricks.com. They have a YouTube channel. That's great. There's this guy, Jody, uh, he is a weld monger. Um, I essentially learned how to take weld off his videos. Uh, that's not something we really touched on. I wouldn't take weld on the trail. I think that's a little ridiculous because you're not going to bring argon on the trail. <laughs> right. Unless you do. I mean, maybe I will in the future. Uh, I have problems, but yeah. And also everything has to be so clean for TIG welding mm-hmm. too, that I think it'd just be, it wouldn't be a really good process for that. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of other videos too. There's the fabricator series. I know that dude has some great content, but you can like nowadays pretty much learn how to weld from YouTube and it's pretty good for the most part, but also at a certain point, there's no replacement for hood time. So like you don't want the first time you're using any of these products to be on the trail. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree to mimic that. Like the, the first time I picked up a welder and started welding was actually with Jimmy, um, on a a little flux core. And I was like, this is so cool. And then, um, uh, another one of my buddies, he's a a master welder for Bart over in the Bay area. Mm -hmm. Um, he sat me down and let me use a, a gas wire fed. Um, and I was doing that and he didn't tell me about the, the whole sunburn issue. Mm. And I think I burned like first degree burns in my arm or something like that from the, <laughs> the sunburn of the reflection of the, the spark. So, um, but it's, a uh, you know, getting down and, and understanding, the, the feel for the different speeds and different heat settings and figuring out, you know, if you change this variable, what happens and uh, playing around with it that way is one of the best ways to figure it out. And the only way to do that is with hood time. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. you can have the same voltage and wire feed speed mm-hmm. and change your heat input just with your travel speed too. Mm-hmm. Yep. So being able to sit down and actually play with that a little bit and also doing like, um, you can cut net your welds too to see how much penetration you actually have. Mm-hmm. But then the ready welder is a little tricky because you don't get voltage and wire feed separate. There's just like one red knob that mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming just controls your wire feed because you're just running it off 24 volts. 24 volts, yeah. Um, so, but you can kind of like sort of use that to adjust your heat input as well a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how the other welders are. I assume they're pretty much all the same. 
Yeah. Yeah, they're very similar. I know that yeah. the 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 bun trail welder that we just did the interview with uh, Sue and Chai with mm-hmm. um, their stage one kit doesn't even come with a, a wire feed adjustment, so it's just the oh, twenty four okay. volts and and then the wire feeding at a constant rate, and it's up to you to change how your movement is and your speed in order to to weld. Uh, get good penetration in the 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 fill. So can you run it off twelve volts as well? Um, I don't think so. I think it's all set up for twenty four volt. They said you mm. can run it off thirty six volt. Oh, okay. Um, hook up three batteries together if you need a lot more heat. Um, but uh, yeah, they also offer a, a kit that with the wire feed adjuster, the wire feed speed adjuster mm. too. So yeah, I know. Like mm. on the ready welder, you can do twelve, twenty four, thirty six depending on how many batteries you have available. But I will Mm -hmm. say at 12 volt, like it pretty much doesn't stick stuff together. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then sometimes 24 can be too hot. And Mm. so I'm like playing with the wire feed and like how much stick out I have and how fast I'm going to try and Mm -hmm. like reduce it. Um, It would Mm -hmm. be nice to have more adjustability, but I don't think that it's really possible just with the nature of the system itself. Like I think you'd be looking at essentially a normal welder at that point. Kind of yeah, the point. that's kind of one of the, the interesting things I like about stick welding is that uh, you adjust, at least with the Premier, right? With the Premier welder, you just adjust your uh, throttle on the vehicle. So you have a, a hmm. throttle cable in the engine bay and you uh, ramp up or ramp down the throttle. So you have somebody there to control the throttle cable, which is just a, a bike shifter cable that I've put on the, the throttle body. Um but, you know, you say, hey, more throttle or less throttle until you get to the point where it's good. And then you're just adjusting your uh, your speed at which you're welding. And, uh, of course, you know, how far you're shoving the, the electrode into the metal you're getting together. So, yeah, that is interesting. I know there's like a bunch of farmers and stuff that swear by stick welding and mm-hmm. say it's great. I, uh, I see some dudes bringing like 7018 rod, though. And mm-hmm. I do know that like with 7018 rod, you're supposed to store it above like 250 degrees or something. Like it has a lot of issues with humidity. Yeah, it does. Um, getting into it. And mm-hmm. uh, I know it's not stored correctly. And I wonder mm-hmm. if that's why I've had issues stick welding before. Cause I just have like a five gallon bucket, like a Home Depot bucket full of 7018 rod. <laughs> and I've always wondered yeah. about that. Cause you know how like sometimes people on the internet just say stuff and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. sure. I'll do that. But then yeah. I think that might actually be the truth. Yeah, 7018 is it's a lot harder to get going for yeah. sure, especially if it hasn't been kept in a really dry sealed um, container mm-hmm. for uh, for its life. Um, but a uh, 60, what is it, 6010, 6011, yeah. I forget which one it is, um, that burns pretty hot. So you can usually lay a good route to kind of get things together and get through the porosity get through you know dirt or whatever is built up on the metal and then you can uh, cap it over with 7018 once everything is kind of heated up from the 6011 um and it kind of helps the 7018 flow a little bit better hmm. but <coughs> yeah i don't know that much about stick welding the only thing i know is like with 6010 and 6011 i think they're almost the same rod but i think mm-hmm. one you can use an ac which mm-hmm. might be better for you I don't know. I don't have a stick machine, so who knows? Yeah. And then I know that I think the 60 means there's 60,000 pounds of tensile strength in a Correct. one inch square area. Mm-hmm. And then the one means something else that I should probably know. Yeah. Um, it's supposed to be the, the positions that you can weld. Oh, in. Yeah, so there's right. the, the tensile strength, the positions mm-hmm. and AC versus DC. Yeah. I believe is what the numbers all referred to. Yeah. I've, uh, 
I used, I had better luck with 6010 actually, but of course mm-hmm. all my 7018 has just been sitting out for like 10 <laughs> years. So I know you can yeah. bake it at like 800 degrees for a bit and it'll get rid of oh. a lot of that. I've also used 7018 rod and I've um, mm-hmm. broken off the flux on it and I've used that to bridge a gap. Before. Oh, I never that. thought about doing that. Yeah, I'll use that as like an extension of filler metal, pretty much. So that might be a good tip. That's that I a just good tip. Of. I never thought about that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because usually, like when you're welding on the trail, it's like the worst of everything. It's dirty metal. Yeah. It's covered in oil. Your fit up is poor, and you're trying mm-hmm. to make something stronger than you made it while you were in a shop. And you're and you're typically not in comfortable positions. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and you're yeah. like welding overhead, bracing yourself because, like yeah. in welds, comfort is how it comes out good. Mm-hmm. So, like if I have a super critical like tube weld on a cage, I'll put two clamps on either end, and I'll like tie a piece of angle iron in between them so I can rest my arm on something. Oh, interesting. Because, like none of these dudes are freehanding super nice cage welds. Yeah. Um. But also, yeah, people weld cages kind of wacky too. It's like on one end of the spectrum, it's like super, super low voltage and their travel speed is insanely low. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you got dudes like melting through stuff to make these weird, like (laughs) super far apart stack of dimes. And then in between each of those, like at the edge of the weld isn't flat. Every single one of those is like a little concentrated failure point. Um, So Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's kind of wacky, but eighth inch tubing itself is fairly weak too, which is like the, uh, the thing that I kind of had to come to terms with. So even a small amount of weld can help a good amount, but if you can't weld good, just weld a lot. So just throw some gussets on there and (laughs) yeah, just put a bunch more tubes than you think you need. I did, um, this last cage is the first cage I've TIG welded. And that was pretty eye opening. There's some absolute monsters who are like TIG welding upside down on a cage. And so I don't see how it's possible. I can barely do it on a table. Well, there's been a couple of pictures that uh, Slauson has put out of some of the positions he gets into to weld some of the the parts on his cages, um, Mm -hmm. his chassis. And I'm just like, how do you control a foot pedal when neither of your feet are on the ground? Like, how do you, how does that work? Yes. Some <laughs> dudes do the foot pedal in their armpit or between their knees. <laughs> That's crazy. And wow. I've seen dudes be able to pulse it like that, which I think is crazy, but also the, uh, man, welding technology has gotten so much better. So like the machine pulse on the, uh, all the new machines is so adjustable that you can kind of set it where you need it and run it off that I think. But yeah, I'm just not good enough. Yeah. I need a ton more hood time. I, I started yeah. learning to TIG weld six months ago, so it's been rough. Oh, nice. It's been <laughs> rough. Yeah, one of the things that I think is a really good tip that you kind of touched on earlier that um, I think is a, a nice one to kind of repeat is that by you know carrying around some flat uh, steel, some flat bar, um, some plate, um, and using that to weld over your cracks essentially Mm -hmm. Um, by doing that, you're just spreading out the load of those stresses on that point um, a ton. The more, I guess you can help spread the load out, um, the better that'll survive to get you off the trail. So yeah, totally. And also Mm -hmm. like if I guess I only think about it because I specialize in like link suspension performance. Um, Mm -hmm. But all this stuff, like the loads are totally, you can calculate every single one of them 
and you can see your safety factors on them. So mm-hmm. it probably only takes maybe an hour to plot all your points. And if you have scales, you can scale your truck and figure out your center of gravity height and get like pretty accurate measurements. And then you can figure mm-hmm. out exactly what your safety factor is on everything. And then you yeah. can design your links so that you have an acceptable safety factor. And then you can kind of like translate that into how much gusseting you need to do on all your link mounts and stuff. Like sometimes I see people's link mounts rip off and I'm like, how did they last that long? Like, there's, <laughs> have you, like you can do the math on all of this. There's really, I don't know. There's no excuse for not doing it. It's so easy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think not having things break in the first place is the most ideal, which is, of course, you know, like me calling the kettle black. Because <laughs> I've broken everything. <laughs> and a lot of and it that is, is stuff why I, we wanted to talk to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of it is stuff I knew was going to break, too. I'm just like, ugh. One time I got stuck, like, in my truck because the actual, like, door unlock mechanism, you know, with all those little metal bars that go into plastic clips and stuff, mm-hmm, the actual, mm-hmm. like, plastic assembly itself broke. And then I couldn't unlock my door from the inside or outside. And that's like the most <laughs> mad I've been on the trail. It was so stupid. So I had to like, I, yeah, I took a grinder and I cut open my door and then I zip tied all those metal bars together. So it works. And it's actually still like that right now. <laughs> and what did you do with that piece of metal that you cut out? Uh, I don't know. I probably threw it in my toolbox. It's not yeah, very well, useful though. It's like 18 gauge or something. Yeah. <laughs> Wrapped a drive shaft. Yeah, yeah. No, I did well to file onto my drive shaft. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it was like hitting the lip of the gas tank a little bit. Cause obviously I, I can't weld it. It's like, you know, a 40 inch long drive shaft. So I'm not going to weld it back together straight. So it's spinning slightly oblong. So I just like welded the edge of a file to it. And then it just like filed a little bit of the edge of the gas tank off and it was, it was fine. it sounds dangerous yeah yeah i mean i was pretty done at that point (laughs) i was ready to burn to death (laughs) i was like just take me (laughs) take me and the truck yeah this Uh, is it this will just be the end nice spot to go well awesome man i think we'll end it here on that note uh thank you so much for coming back on the podcast again and uh sharing some stories and some of those uh the welding knowledge for all the listeners out there and uh um is there any like disclaimers you want to give to anybody about the information you just gave it could all be wrong it could all be sure (laughs) i mean every single thing i said could have been wrong yeah perfect (laughs) that's what we we need to just add that disclaimer on every single episode we do put that in the beginning yeah i mean i don't know i'm i'm open to being wrong though Mm -hmm. that's the thing yeah i'm i'm wrong a lot and that's why i'm right sometimes (laughs) perfect well cool man if uh yeah, if anybody wanted to get a hold of you, uh, uh how can they do that? Oh man, I don't know if they should. <laughs> uh, I'm not doing any like custom fab work anymore, but um mm-hmm. You can shoot me an email at wheeleveryweekend at gmail.com or uh, we've added like maybe a thousand products to our website. So uh, I do a lot of shock stuff mainly. And I uh, I have a couple like link suspension performance kits coming out. And uh, my website's going to be full of tech articles on um, like I've plotted almost a bunch of different link suspension kits, which I'm going to be offering mm. like all of that for free. I'm going to be offering valve stacks that 
um, companies including their shocks, all that's going to be listed and kind of like an easy to use thing. And then I'm testing a bunch of off-road lights. I got a little like lumen tester and Mm. I have a jig on my property so that they're all at like the same distance and everything. So I'm going to have like, I'm trying to give as much objective data about all these products as possible Mm -hmm. so that I'm not just like, I think this is the best. Yeah. Which is, you know, something that has always bothered me because what if I am wrong? I mean, I totally Mm -hmm. could be. So, yeah. yeah. And what, so where can people find all that information? Uh, we'll every weekend.com probably be live in the next like month or two. I'm going to start pumping out a bunch of the link suspension data. And then I have a cool video coming out on link suspension where I'm actually going to test all different suspension setups on the same course with like the same shocks and everything. And then we're going to see how much is actually true. Cause a lot of the dudes on online, they're like, Oh, you have to have 80% anti-squat. But meanwhile, they've been using a link calculator that's designed for drag racing. So it assumes a hundred percent drive bias and they've mm-hmm. been using it on their front, which ha- will never have a hundred percent drive bias except, Oh, I've also driven home from the Rubicon and front wheel drive three times, <laughs> um, which is miserable. Like I would say don't have a spooled front, on like a vehicle that you drive to the trail because driving home in front wheel drive with a spooled front is super (laughs) scary, especially with U joints. Cause like when you're turning the U joints travel in an ellipse and at like 60 miles an hour, it does horrible things to the like handling characteristics of the vehicle (laughs) and is super unsafe. So yeah. Um, I don't remember what I was saying, but anyways, um, I don't do customer work anymore. So I'm really excited to see some of those articles pump out because I'm, uh, I just got my axle housings in here. Um, so I'm going to be diving down the rabbit hole of either looking up and dealing with a front three link setups on my Mm -hmm. forerunner or just buying a kit that's already done and then just saying, screw it and put it under. But like, I want to understand how it's all working. So I'm probably going to go down the, the dumb route of trying to build it all. Like I've yeah, been on the axles. <laughs> I've plotted some um, like application specific kits and I can't quite figure out even from like the same brand across like multiple trucks, the geometry is different. Mm. So I don't really understand like what's going on there. But I, at the same time, that makes me wonder, even though I talk about how important it is all the time, like maybe it's not important. So that's what I want to find out with the video. And also there are some like higher end chassis builders that don't even know like their suspension geometry and their chassis. And they essentially just tune out whatever characteristics with giant shocks and bypasses and stuff. So I don't know. Is it important? Is it not? I'm open to it. Mm hmm. It's a good debate. I know some, we have a couple listeners that might be interested in uh, discussing that and having that discussion. So yeah, yeah. it's weird yeah. too, because also suspension is subjective. So you're applying math mm-hmm. to a feeling. Yeah. So it's like, if yeah. you say that this suspension is better, it is. And there's nothing I can <laughs> say that like, will change your mind about that. Or people yeah. do like some goofy setups too, with like reverse four links and stuff. Um, and I'm going to do those on the truck and show why those are kind of dangerous. Mm. So. Okay, cool. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to all that. Um, Jimmy, if people wanted to get a hold of us, how can they do that here? 
Yeah, you can uh, find us on Instagram. I'm over at Snail Trail 4x4. Tyler runs 4x4 Toyota Tyler. You can email us, Jimmy or Tyler, at snailtrail4x4.com, or you can phone in at 916-345-4744. Poifecto. And I guess with that, uh, Ian, thanks again for coming on, man. Uh, we'll have to get you back on in the future, and we can go like nerd out on suspension geometry. How's that? Yeah, that'd be interesting. I'm actually I'm going to be interviewing a um, a OEM. Uh, I don't know what you call him, like a suspension engineer, kinda. Yeah. Um, okay. And he's going to be talking to me. But so far, uh, it doesn't sound like they actually care that much about suspension <laughs> geometry when they're designing <laughs> trucks, which really, uh, really kind of answers a lot of questions I had <laughs> to start with. Yeah. Yes. Like, why are yes, you guys exactly. doing this? And they're like, "Oh, that's the cheapest." I'm like, yeah. "Oh." <laughs> it's a cheapest that consumers will be okay with. Yeah. They're just trying <laughs> yeah. to bring the worst vehicle to market possible that someone will buy. Yeah. <laughs> That's essentially what he's been telling me. Like, okay, Interesting. That, that answers a lot of my much. questions about yeah. the Bronco sport then. So, well, yeah, the Bronco sport, I mean, they shouldn't have shared the Bronco. <laughs> name. <laughs> no, really? they no. shouldn't. It is. I got to see one up on a kind of up on a lift at a auto body shop here. It was getting, it had like the whole rear quarter panels off so I could see the whole rear suspension. I was like, that's all that's here in the suspension. That yeah, looks it, like that. That's that like it won't hold up to anything. I'm surprised well, it even holds up the vehicle on a pavement. You got to think about the market it's for though. It's not for someone mm-hmm. who's going to take it off road. And True. I saw some crazy statistic about like dudes with Wranglers and stuff that only like 10% of them ever use four wheel drive. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that too. Yeah. Probably same with the new tacos, <laughs> right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. How many, any of how the many mall crawlers are out there? <laughs> or raptors too. Ninety percent. Mm. Like down here, I see a couple of raptors a day, and they're usually towing trailers. I'm like, hmm. I don't know if I would pick that as a vehicle for towing a trailer. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, cool, man. Uh, thanks again for coming on, uh, Ian. Is there any final words uh, you'd like to give for everybody out there? Um. Not really. You can find me on Instagram if you want. And if you're going to weld, just be safe. Like, uh, I've had a couple friends get skin cancer and stuff and inhalation sickness and things like that. So like Mm. when I'm, even when I'm like tacking stuff up, I usually have a leather jacket on and I have my welding helmet and then I wear safety glasses under my welding helmet too. And I have a Mm. cap on, um, because like, it's fine right now, but then, you know, now I'm getting old. So stuff's kind of catching up to me <laughs> uh you'll thank yeah. yourself later a little, for those, sure a little half mass respirators the uh, miller has a great one i want to say it's like 30 or 40 bucks and it's cheaper than mm. lung cancer that's all i gotta say <laughs> true <laughs> very cool jimmy do you have any final words for everybody out there I think uh, when I main one of the things I gained out of this is really just hood time, you know, yes. just yeah. getting an understanding of the machine before you actually go out onto the trail to use it. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I have a couple of welding classes I'm doing up here during the summer, which would be great for you guys to have, but you guys are way far away, mm-hmm. so I'll be up your way in uh, July to run the Rubicon. Though maybe we can talk about that <sighs> off the air. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm gonna be gone like all of July, but. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we can schedule to where I'm home some at one of those points, but all right, cool, man. Well, thanks, bud. Thanks for coming on. And without further ado, everybody out there, keep crawling.
I got one for you. You do? I do. Okay. Why did Adele cross the road? Um, I don't know. So she could sing hello from the other side. Oh, I hate you. <laughs> I was going to say this one. It's funny, though, but it's really bizarre. Or it's not bizarre. It's just it's one of those jokes. Okay. What is the resemblance between a green apple and a red apple? The apple? They're both red except for the green one. I don't get it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a resemblance at all. No. (laughs) 